Are you a PT looking to be a part of the discussion around the future of healthcare? If so, you should join us at Align Conference this year. Go ahead and clear your schedule for August 25th through the 27th and join Evidence in Motion in Louisville, Kentucky. We'll be featuring an all-star lineup of keynote speakers discussing the future of healthcare, along with several hands-on labs and experiences across many different topics, including pain science, dry needling, blood flow restriction, and more. The coolest part? We're offering our podcast listeners $100 off the registration when you use code JOSPT100. Early bird pricing ends soon, so register now. Learn more at AlignConference.com. And remember to use code JOSPT100 and save $100 on your registration. Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Welcome to the very first clinical case series episode from JOSPT Insights, where we dive into JOSPT cases and look at individual case reports, interview the authors, and share their knowledge, experience, and thought process with you. Today, for our very first episode, we have a packed house, three physical therapists tied to the case, as well as Dr. Chris Hughes, editor-in-chief of the journal JOSPT Cases. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a U.S.-based physical therapist and owner of Chapman PT in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at Stanford University Athletics. Thank you all so much for being here. I'm looking forward to learning more about this case. Uh, before we do that, though, let's hear Dr. Chris Hughes about the journal JOSPT Cases, which obviously is the springboard for this episode. Yeah, thank you so much, Dan, for having me on and really excited to kick off JOSPT Cases. My name is Cody Mansfield. I'm a physical therapist at the Ohio State University Wetsner Medical Center. I'm also a director of the Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapy Fellowship. For this case, I was the physical therapist that evaluated the patient on day one. Then I co-treated the patient with one of my colleagues. Hi, everyone. My name is Laura. Laura Cutler now. My name on the paper is Laura Iglar. I am a clinical physical therapist in Cincinnati, Ohio at a cash pay practice called Beyond Exercise. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at the University of Cincinnati. And at this case, I was a fellow in training at Ohio State University in the manual fellowship, and I co-treated with Cody on this case. My name is Jake Bleacher. Uh, thanks for having us on. Really appreciate this, especially the inaugural uh, session. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I was the director of the OMPT fellowship. Uh, Laura was undergoing at that time. My first inclination is always biomechanisms uh, and biomechanics, and so this one really was interesting to me. Chris, can you talk to us about JOSPT cases? Since this is the inaugural partnership episode, tell us just a little bit about that journal. I was really excited to be asked to be editor back in 2021 was our first inaugural issue. And this is certainly one of the um, lead papers in that inaugural issue, which is free online. We'll give you the link. The readership really wanted cases. They still wanted cases and they still wanted imaging reports. And so that spurred us over into our own spinoff. Um, JOSPT cases. And so we have uh, a healthy dose of imaging cases in every issue, as well as JOSPT cases, which I would say are really authored by clinical scientists, you know, and a case report is what the readers want. It's a great way to establish proof of concept initiatives. And it's a great way to introduce authors to the peer review process. We are peer reviewed. 
It's a great way for people to translate into evidence-based practice. I like it because it's it's really the heart of what clinicians do, right? One-to-one interaction with patients. And so we don't want to lose that. And that is certainly the fundamental role of, of PT. So what I find invigorating is the ability to bring the case to life, right? To bring it into 3D. And with JSPT cases on its own platform, we can have uh, ancillaries. We can have large appendices. We can have animated footage. We can have video clips. And, and we also have this unique aspect, which is patient narratives. And one of the things about, you know, this group, what was very impressive was the patient narrative. So you feel like you're looking over the shoulder of the clinicians and it, it really brought things to life. Also, the ability of what they did for, you know, laying out illustrations and tables, you know, was really first rate. So that, along with learning points, is really the heart of what JSPD cases is about. So if people want to understand how to become part of that and and not be a spectator of the research, but get in the game. We're really looking forward to more issues and, and great submissions. We're in our ninth issue coming up. So we invite everybody to give their hand at it and more importantly, contact us if you have any questions. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's so fun to have just like a journal of all these fun, wild kind of case reports to be able to learn from and all of the media that goes with it. You're right. The visuals and the and the video that actually goes with this case that we'll talk about later. Can't talk about it now because it's going to give it away. Are, are phenomenal. And they definitely add so much, truly so much to that case. So it's awesome. All right. So let's get into it. Suspense over. Well, kind of. Um, okay. So Cody, I can't tell you the name of it because I'm going to give it away too. Cody, you are, you were the, you were the therapist that had this patient on your schedule. So can you tell us about kind of the basic demographics, any outcome measures, intake information you kind of had ahead of time and how they presented to you subjectively? You know, first of all, thank you for having us on. And it was a random Tuesday and I received an email in my inbox from someone who was in a lot of pain. Reached out to me via email and said, hey, I'm having a lot of back pain. My friend who's an inpatient physical therapist recommended that I find a fellow of AOM. He gave me his history that he had a 10-year history of low back pain Five years previously, he had a lumbar discectomy and laminectomy, which gave him some relief of his low back pain, but it came back. He had seen a ton of providers since then, hip specialists, ankle specialists, back specialists, both rehab and medical professionals. And he did share in the email that had new MRI imaging that revealed an L3, L4 disc herniation as well as a negative electromyogram for like a nerve conduction study, and that he really wanted to avoid surgery and that his last clinical recommendation from the surgeon was still to to undergo surgery. He primarily, primarily was complaining of chronic low back pain and pain radiating to the back of both thighs. So because he wanted to find a fellow of AOMP, I tried searching for one in, in his area, and I told him that there were none. And I told him that our clinic was two hours away, but I could maybe make some recommendations around him. And he didn't reply to the email. Two weeks later, I'm bringing back my 4 p.m. eval, did my chart review. I didn't really recognize it was him from the email until I pulled him from the waiting room. From his email, he essentially shared the same subjective history. As far as objective measures that we took right away, the Oswestry Disability Index, as well as the FABQ. That was kind of our starting point for collecting data with data with him that day. Why don't we why don't we go into how he scored on his ODI and FABQ? His ODI is pretty high. I think in, I think we reported it at 
And again, for a young man, that's pretty high. You know, it makes it's a little bit tougher with electronic medical record, but usually I like to look at what items on the ODI they scored highest on. So was it standing and walking? Was it sitting? That sort of thing. The FABQ, that one was just to try and screen out, you know, does this individual have any fear avoidance behaviors? It's divided into two subscales primarily that, that we look at, the physical activity subscale and the work subscale. Greater than 15 on the physical activity subscale is suggestive of high fear. For the work subscale, it's greater than 34. And so when someone scores above those levels, that's when you get a little bit worried that they do have some fear avoidance behavior, and that could be a factor in your care with the patient. And it looks like he scored a 20 out of 24 on the physical activity subscale and a 16 out of 42 on the work subscale. So certainly high fear when it comes to physical activity, but not necessarily when it comes to work. And so if those are the intake measures that you got, how did his physical exam look? His range of motion was full and normal. He could move. His strength was great. He looked healthy. He is really fearful of bending. And he was using terminology. Uh, I wrote this down. Like the first visit, he said, my back will give out just walking. I'll be bedridden for days, which is really rare for someone who's 33 years old. But at the same time, he could do really intense activity as well, like yard work and whatnot and, and be fine. So I, I had a lot of things from that evaluation that were pointing me towards this more graded motor imagery approach and pain science education. The thing that his range of motion assessment did reveal to me was that he was being really protective with lumbar flexion. So when he would bend down to touch his toes, he could go the full distance, but he would not flex at the lumbar spine. He'd almost hinge at the hips and he would keep his, his core as tight as possible. I even asked him during the subjective history, tighten your core muscles right now. And he's like, yeah, I am. And so those are all signs of very protective behaviors. And so right from the get-go after the subjective history, I already knew kind of the approach I was going to take from there. So how do you decide to go for that instead of, of going with a, with a different approach? And, and how, what does that actually look like to start with on that first day? I did a thorough orthopedic exam and in particular, a neurological screen. And his neurological screen was normal. He didn't appear to have a lot of neural tension. He could do a lot of things that a lot of people with lumbar radiculopathy cannot do. And I have that kind of threshold of, okay, when are we leaving that more biomechanical world? And when are we, so to speak, going into more of this great motor imagery and pain neuroscience education type interventions? And for me, he cleared my neuroscreen, testing reflexes, myotomes, sensation. And then I felt like I had enough evidence to go down this treatment path. And because I was confident in that approach and my, my exam right there, it helped with delivering the intervention. And I think he felt confident in me because I was confident after that. But it probably wasn't until I did those objective measures from the neuroscreen and the neurodynamics testing that I would have been able to dive fully into that approach. 
So clearly you can have components from both contributing to a presentation, but it's so important that before you jumped two feet into the pain neuroscience education graded motor imagery world, that you did that comprehensive orthopedic neurological exam to kind of rule out other causes. And you said that helped you be confident, but I'm also sure that having you put him through this comprehensive examination helped the patient be confident as well that that you had ruled out other major contributors. So, so how did you actually go about wrapping up this evaluation? Again, understanding that you only had 45 minutes to take this intake, do this exam, and then this person who lives two hours away from you, make sure that this visit has been very, very valuable to them and they have something to take home. I told him what I thought that central sensitization was going on. I really went into the fact that his neurological signs looked really good. And I, sh- I shared with him my clinical expertise that I've seen people with lumbar radiculopathy and they don't move like you do. And how he fit this pattern of being in this central sensitization. And then I started to introduce that the brain could be a factor in it. And that essentially the brain could cause a lot of things like the guarding of your core muscles, where your, your muscles of your core might be actually be doing too good of a job at guarding. And, and I think to Dr. Hughes' point, the patient perspective is really powerful because, you know, we asked him to write a paragraph, not that much. So we were surprised and just blown away by what he wrote, but uh, the, the, he brought up the evaluation, how he had never been evaluated like that before uh, and had a treatment session. Day one, I didn't give him any strengthening, any stretches. I gave him education and I, and with confidence, I told him what I thought was going on. And I told him to watch two different videos, one by Dr. Peter Sullivan, which honestly mirrors his case pretty well, where Dr. Sullivan treats a patient named Jack. Again, a young, healthy male has been told lots of things by providers about how fragile their back is. And so I like that video quite a bit because it, it also shows Peter Sullivan trying to get that patient Jack to quit overactivating his core muscles. And you see really big improvement with that. And then the second video that I shared with him was a video of actually uh, Dr. Mosley. But essentially in this video, he tells a story about a snake bite that he received. Dr. Mosley is just an incredible speaker. But but essentially the point of that snake bite story is that, that your brain remembers past history of pain and that it can influence you in present day. But anyways, that's all I gave him day one. Delivering this pain neuroscience education and motor imagery, it's evolved over time. I found that if you force people to it, they turn off. And so I really emphasized to him that, hey, when you watch these videos, I want you to think about what really resonated with you and what didn't. And then we'll talk about that next time you come in. I love it. I've seen both those videos. We will also have the links to those videos in the show notes. So make sure to check them out. Yeah. Okay. So honestly, impressed you got all through that in 45 minutes. So kudos to you. Uh, That's a tough job. Um, Okay. So now, Laura, then you get brought into this case. So how did you guys decide to progress in these next few sessions? I was just kind of jumping into the case with Cody, but I know on the second visit, Cody, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had also given him laterality recognition that first visit too. Yeah, you're you're right. So day one, Day one, I think I gave him general advice on just like, hey, you're, you know, don't sit for too long as well with his job. And then also we did test left-right discrimination with the, the NOI recognized app. Yeah. So we kind of continued on with that, but because his 
left-right discrimination was still so low, his accuracy, we just continued at that basic level with him. And we'll kind of, I think, come back to that when we revisit the third visit, because something big happened there. But at this time, too, we started to kind of move into that graded motor imagery, like second level, where we did like the explicit motor imagery. So because I believe he had stated from those videos that when he watched people bend over or even thought about people bending over, that caused him pain. So we decided to depict images that would feel safe to him. So I believe we bending was really his issue. And so we picked like, I think Homer Simpson picking up a donut, James Bond, you know, smoothly grabbing his gun on the ground. Um, And then I think he had like a young nephew or something at the time. So I think imagining him picking up his rattle on the ground. So things that really were safe lumbar flexion movements for him to start visualizing so that we could kind of push him along that way to see if that would help progress him into moving to pain-free lumbar flexion movements. And then I think we actually did start that second visit like a single knee to chest. So that was like a lumbar flexion movement that felt safe to him. And so we started that. For those who are completely unfamiliar with this type of treating low back pain, what is the thought process about behind graded motor imagery, laterality, right? Maybe we talk a little bit about laterality and, and how that plays in. And what is the thought process about what is this doing in physical therapy? Why are we doing this? And how could this possibly be helpful for someone struggling with low back pain? When we think about like cortical or reorganization of the brain and lateral laterality recognition, we kind of found through this case is one way to kind of identify that, that cortical reorganization has taken place. But best way to explain it, and we have a really good visual in the case as well in the figures about using the homunculus to describe cortical reorganization. So the homunculus is a specific area of the brain that represents the sensory and motor cortexes of the different body regions. And so normally the brain has an allocated area for each body part along the cortex. But when we're in pain, due to the changing sensory inputs, those areas of the brain begin to change. And so there's a representative homunculus result in that cortical reorganization that we're talking about, and that can affect the output of pain. So in low back pain, it's not really well understood. There's been some studies done or imaging studies done on the brain in chronic low back pain, where the longer someone's been in pain, there's been this cortical reorganization. And again, laterality recognition is one way to identify that. And so with this case, we use that to kind of be be our starting point to identify that this patient needed a different type of therapy per se. Laura, thank you so much for that explanation. That was that was excellent and also very, very helpful understanding the the technical, more neurophysiological understanding of what's going on. Do you all have metaphors that you might use for patients to help them understand kind of what's happening or why you're doing what you're doing that you find to be helpful in kind of getting this point across? And I should say that we're not researchers in this. We're more big fans of the NOI group and Dr. O'Sullivan, Mosley, and Lau. So from all our readings on the topic, here's how I like to explain it. Dan, let's say you have me over for dinner tomorrow night and you put your hand down on a burner. Let's say it's your right hand. It hurts. You look at it and your, your brain's like, oh my God, my right hand, I just burnt it. If I had random images of left and right hands and decided to show it to you in that moment, you might be a little bit less accurate when you see a left hand because your brain is so focused on your burnt right hand. Now let's fast forward three months later, you're hosting me over there again. 
And all of a sudden, your acute right-hand pain has now turned into chronic right-hand pain. I brought over those images again. I showed you a left hand and a right hand, and I showed you a ton of images. You would maybe be a little bit less accurate and have it be a little bit slower to respond when you see a right hand. Because now that your pain's turned into chronic, uh, your brain is trying to protect you and kind of forget about that hand a little bit. And so there's some kind of central nervous system processing issue that's happening there. And that's where graded motor imagery could be really helpful. There's an application called Recognize, and they have it for uh, multiple body parts, including the back. Uh, you can download it on Apple or Android. We gave him our phone to use often because we have it downloaded on our phones, but then he also downloaded it, downloaded the app to his phone. I think it's about $6. And so he was using the actual application on his phone to test his performance on this left-right judgment task. You can uh, manipulate the settings where you can have them look at, for each level of difficulty, you can have them look at 50 images. There's four difficulty levels. For each difficulty level, once you look at all 50 images and you say, is it left, is it right? You're given what your accuracy is for the left and the right, as well as what your response time is. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Cody. Can you now just kind of catch everyone up, kind of summarize what the patient has been experiencing so far, what you've given them to take home for their home exercise program, kind of what you've been doing up until this point. And just to remind the audience, at this point, there has been two sessions and he's coming up on his third. To this point, with session one and two, this patient has received a left-right judgment task. He's also received some explicit motor imagery training where we asked him to imagine for five minutes a day, people or things bending that don't recreate his own low back pain. We also initiated some graded exposure, which included single knee to chest while in supine. During that session, he could not do double knee to chest because it recreated his pain. So now we're at visit three. Okay, and there is just too much good stuff to cram into two more minutes of time here. So we're going to leave this episode here for right now. Stay tuned next week for the conclusion of this plan of care and to see how this patient is doing. If you just can't wait and need to know more, check out the show notes for a link to the open access article where you can read the full case report and also download videos of the patient himself speaking about his experience and what his care meant to him, how tremendously helpful it really was. I want to thank all the authors here for their time today. We highly recommend you check out JOSPT cases. They are just chock full of awesome case reports just like this with lots of clinical value inside. As always, we want to thank you for listening to JOSPT insights and we'll see you next week thanks for listening to this episode of jospt insights for more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice subscribe to jospt insights on apple podcasts spotify TuneIn, stitcher google or your favorite podcast app if you like jospt insights help others find us Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.